And so it's not just a matter of asking like, hey, do you guys accept this insurance? It's re- you're really asking like, is everything that I'm going to experience today, is every person yeah. that comes into this room, is every service that I receive, is every medication going to be in network and sort of covered by my specific plan? Exactly. Like it, it, it's a really, really weird thing. And you shouldn't have to do that. But this is why you carry a car. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is what I got. <laughs> Like, Turn know, that thing over hey, to the back. It's like staple it to learn. your forehead. Yeah, your specific say, plan. This is what I have. Yeah. I only want things from this menu. <laughs> Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking about healthcare. Yay. Healthcare. Woo, this is a topic <laughs> that I feel like I have flirted with since we started this podcast okay. because it's something that we all need to understand, but it's really easy to avoid because it is so big and so complicated. Yeah. And I'm saying that as a lover of big and complicated subjects, but like American healthcare is figure outable, but it's also nonsensical. <laughs> it is like... It is the stuff that Dr. Seuss writes about, except the stakes are way, way higher. Like, have you ever felt stupider after you study something? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but but it, it, I, I get what you mean. Like, it is it is incredibly complicated. I, I remember, you know, pretty much any time I've ever decided to like dive into it, I feel like I I understand it for like that moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm confident, like the next day, I'm not going to because like it's 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 so. <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of statistics. That's yeah. probably the last time I felt that way. It was like statistics. Yeah, the probability uh, in, that in this care is going like, to be covered. It was like, yeah, I, I know enough to get through this class period, <laughs> but like I cannot promise you that tomorrow like I will have a very clear <laughs> understanding of it. But, I, you know, look, it's, it's important. It is a necessary complication, if you will. And I think specifically for, for me, like just over the last couple of months, I can think about the number of like I've had more issues and challenges with health over the last year than than ever before. I mean, obviously there was there was catching COVID and kind of dealing with that. There, you know, I've got this like recurring sinus infection issue and then having to deal with like hundred dollar copays. Mm-hmm. I had a prescription like nightmare, which was so eye opening. Basically, mm-hmm. I needed a prescription drug. The first one that they recommended was not available and I needed like something fast. And so they recommended the second one and the difference between the first one, the first one was like $60. The second one I want to say was like (laughs) $3,000 to the point where I was like, how much is a flight to like Mexico? Cause I'm confident. How much for just one pill? I'll buy it off the street. I don't care. But like, I'm not paying $3,000 for this medicine. (laughs) It was crazy. And then my mom has some issues. She like cracked a tooth or a crown mm-hmm. or something like that. That was like $1,600. Mm-hmm. And then like, even when you sent the note about like, it's open enrollment season, I was like, here we go again. Yeah. Cause you send this note every year. Here we are. <laughs> like, oh, it's going up. It's $900. It's going up, not yeah. going up $900, but it's going to be about $900 yeah. uh, for uh, coverage our for our of family of, of three. Yeah. It's like, man, dude, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, on top of all of that stuff, we have a son who has a chronic condition and he has asthma. Yeah. And if like, <laughs> people sending us notes. Well, I mean. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, I didn't know. It's like it's asthma. 
<laughs> asthma is a very serious condition. Like if you've been listening to the news, you know, this winter, we're all facing this trifecta of new COVID variants, the flu yeah. and RSV. And so we've been in and out of doctors really all year, mm-hmm. some of which are specialists just trying to be proactive, get our son the care that he needs and have medication on hand. But Baby, like it is not easy. And I think the most frustrating part of all of this is that it doesn't have to be this way. No. It's very similar to the same criticism that the financial services industry gets and in that it is intentionally confusing. It is designed that way. It's basically this result of overlapping patchwork policies that affect people in different ways, depending on your age, your gender, your location, and your providers. Like, it's it's bad. Yeah. So to put this in context, let's go ahead and jump right into the, the, the meat of the discussion. But the United States is the only, the only developed nation without universal health care. Of the 11 richest countries in the world, like our healthcare system ranks number 11. Right? <laughs> and so the, the criteria or, you know, when you look at like these rankings, it's basically five key areas. They look at access to care, the care process, uh, administrative efficiency, equity, and then they look at healthcare outcomes. And so the U.S. ranked last in four of those five categories or areas. Uh, the only exception was for the care process, which we actually ranked second in. And so among people with chronic illnesses, like U.S. adults are among the most likely to discuss things like goals, priorities, and treatment options with their providers. Like that's that's the care process. But we're less likely to receive as much support from health professionals as they felt was needed. And those are basically like the other four <laughs> metrics. So we're, we're really good at talking we're about really great our at goals. Talking about, you know, like, this is like, what I want to get done. Our like, treatment options. Yeah. But then we don't get none of it. We check that box. Like that first <laughs> initial part is like, great. It's like, we're crushing it. We're crushing the conversation part. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and like, you know, as I reflect on my own experiences with healthcare, I was like, yeah, that feels about right. Like that, that first interaction has always been kind of cool. But it's also like super tricky to like to understand like where you live relative to where the doctors are and where you can get coverage. And that that's kind of scary, right? It's yeah. like, man, like if something happens, like you're literally trying to calculate how much time it might be to get to a place of coverage from relative to <laughs> yeah. like where you are. Like that's always been weird. The administrative process oh, is archaic. archaic. Like I think that's like one of the worst parts. Twenty percent of our premiums, the premiums that we pay, yeah, go just to administration. To managing like that mess of filing like, and, and yeah, files bills. And like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. The, and then obviously, like, you know, I think probably the most heartbreaking issue is like like some of the huge disparities that we see between people who have coverage and or like what's considered good coverage. And then people who like thought they had good coverage, but then find out that they didn't. You know what I mean? So basically like the vast majority of people. And then you've got like just some of the underlying like major issues like in terms of, and I don't want to get into it because it gets like really morbid, but yeah. like some of the challenges that certain people have in terms of just basic survival, right? Like the low likelihood for certain people in certain conditions or certain circumstances is really, really heartbreaking. And it is a result of like a flawed system. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons why our healthcare is so expensive and broken, but it basically boils down to there's too many middlemen making money. There's too many people that are making money off the whole process. Yeah. And shout out to Money with Katie, who did a whole episode on this. But here's kind of what I learned 
first of all, employers didn't start offering health care until after World War II, so after the 40s. And before that, the demand for health care was somewhere around 10%, but after employers started offering it, it jumped to 60%. And so once you have high demand, once you have 60% of Americans wanting something, you have these for-profit insurance companies who jump in and insured... <laughs> pun intended, ensured that the prices went up to match the demand. And the end user, us, the patients, we have no idea because our employer was the one taking the hit and they had the profit margins to do so. But around the 80s, around the 1980s, our healthcare spending started outpacing the rest of the world by a long shot. And we were doing that without better health outcomes. That's the worst. That's that's the worst part of it. Yeah. Thing, right. It's like like in no other part of our lives are we willing to like deal with this level of like sort of abnormal growth in cost without like actually. But we're removed from it until until now, like now that more people are more exposed to like paying for health care outright. We've been removed from the drastic increase in prices. And again, we repeatedly have worse health outcomes than other countries that spend far less than we do. And I think it's common to believe that, well, we pay more because we have better care. And the answer to that is just false. Like, (laughs) again, we rank last in four out of five outcomes. And even when you look at pharmaceutical companies, because the U.S. does rank high in drug innovation and research, when you look at pharmaceutical countries, they only spend about 20% of their revenue on research and developing new drugs, but they spend more than twice as that on advertising and marketing said drugs, which is also unique to American medicine. So like as much innovation as we pump out, we could be doing far more if we didn't run commercials or, you know, give medical providers huge incentives to push drugs on on their patients. Yeah. So Humana, which is a health insurance company, uh, they just released, uh, I don't know if they just released it, but they, they did a study that showed uh, that the up to $935 billion or basically a quarter of all U.S. healthcare spending is considered waste. That's like crazy. just straight up waste. And the analysis, uh, I'm crazy. sort of reading directly from it here, but it says the analysis estimates that most waste stems from $265 billion in administrative complexity due to billing and coding and physician time spent reporting on quality measures. So again, you talk about the inefficiency of the administrative process, like which just leads to like bloated costs passed on to patients. And then quality measures are basically like the tools that help doctors measure or quantify healthcare processes, outcomes, uh, patient perceptions, et cetera. Ba- basically like busy work, not to diminish mm-hmm. the importance of it, but like you're not spending time directly with patients or helping them or trying to solve some of the issues. It's just sort of like managing all the processes, just yeah. administrative stuff. It's the same frustration that professionals feel when they realize that they spend more time in meetings talking about the work that they need to <laughs> right. do versus actually doing the work that they need yeah. to do. Right. Like I remember that. I remember feeling like, well, no wonder I can't get anything done. No yeah. wonder we can't actually accomplish it because you want an update and then three other people want an Absolutely. update. And you spend more time providing updates than you do actually working on the thing that you're providing updates on. Yeah. And it's just like a really weird cycle. And if we're being honest, like a lot of people listening right now have jobs like that. And, and that's part of the reason why you're so frustrated. <laughs> Doctors are frustrated <laughs> yes. by it too. 
right? Because yeah. I've had these conversations with doctors and they're super frustrated by health, the healthcare system. Yeah. Like, they want to fix it too. But like, it, it's it's so complicated. Yes. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? And so everyone just kind of like agrees, like, look, let's just do the best that we can, but we can't stop because literally lives are at stake. Absolutely. Yeah, there are there are two big points that I want to make into before we go into kind of how we plan for our healthcare expenses, which spoiler alert, <laughs> there is no solution to this. There's only like managing it. But there's two big points I want to make. The first is that we use the term healthcare system, but we don't really have a system. We have a market. Yeah. And at a market, the people with money can buy whatever they want. You can pretty much get access to anything you want. Even though, like, in our market, that helps to a point. Even with the best insurance, you can still get denied claims. And if you're paying out of pocket, going back to that price point, it is an outrageous amount of money to have a surgery or require some sort of long-term treatment. So you got to have a whole, whole, whole lot of money to be insulated from the fact that this is a market and not a system that's working on behalf of everyone. And then the second thing I want to point out is that one of the reasons our health outcomes are so much worse is because our healthcare system isn't focused on preventative care. No. And that's because the average customer switches companies every five years or so. So those of you who've gone through the open enrollment process, if your doctor switches or if the price point changes or you get a new job, you end up changing insurance providers. And so if you're an executive at an insurance company, there's not really a financial incentive to pay for long-term prevention for customers that ain't going to be with you long-term, right? And so because of those insights, the way that we think of health insurance in our case is really more like bill insurance. And in addition to managing your overall care, there's a few things that you can do to kind of mitigate this idea of receiving a surprise bill. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the best way to think about this is basically before care and after care. So before you receive care, you need to find out if your insurance will cover it. And unfortunately, it's not like nearly as simple as it sounds. Right. So like <laughs> I every, wish it were that simple. It's, it's not. Do y'all cover <laughs> Is my insurance going to cover this? Yeah. And they may say yes. And then you find out later that they don't or that it includes yeah. something else or yeah. like something happens in between. But like Every insurer basically will give you a list of in-network providers and out-of-network providers. So in-network providers means that rates have basically been negotiated between your insurance company and a particular medical facility. So in in other words, those two parties agree that they'll pay, let's say, $5,000 for a broken bone. And mm-hmm. $40,000 for heart surgery. Like that's that's the deal. But there's a whole lot of fine print, right? <laughs> and like the patients never get to see that. So like you mess around and add like an infection or oh, yeah, an allergy or something like that. It's like throw throw that deal out the way. Uh, <laughs> Even the within an in-network Correct. facility. Like you want to stay in-network. That's why we are explaining how it works. But even within in-network, you can be hit with surprise costs if you need something that's outside of what was negotiated between the hospital and your insurer. Yeah. And and, and the other complication is, and this is one that really just boggles my mind, is if, if you go to a hospital, you may see like three different care providers and only one of them is actually covered by your insurance. So in our case, when our son was born, the anesthesiologist that did Kirsten's epidural was not covered. Yeah, and he was, was out of network. He was out of network. He was borrowed from another hospital. Correct. Even though we went to a hospital that, you know, we believed and understood had an agreement with our insurance company, that little thing here, that little sort of situation led to a surprise bill that we got months after the delivery. 
And so it's not just a matter of asking like, hey, do you guys accept this insurance? It's re- you're really asking like, is everything that I'm going to experience today, is every person yeah. that comes into this room, is every service that I receive, is every medication going to be in network and sort of covered by my specific plan? Exactly. Like it, it, it's a really, really weird thing. And you shouldn't have to do that. But this is why you carry a card. Yeah. It's like, this is what I got. <laughs> Like, Turn know, that thing over hey, to the back. It's like staple it to learn. your forehead. Yeah, your specific say, plan. This is what I have. Yeah. I only want things from this menu. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That card is so important because you can also call the number on your insurance card before you go in for your appointment and ask your insurer. Make sure that you have, you know. A, say, hey, a, this a, is what I'm about to go listen, in Listen, and you got you to gotta be specific about the procedure and the doctor or the office, you got to be like, I'm planning to get a mole removed from a dermatologist at this office. What will my out-of-pocket cost be, right? Yeah. You can ask that question up front before your appointment, and they can tell you exactly how much it'll cost. But you got to call them. There's no online repository that you can just kind of search these things. It's not like an Amazon website where you can just go look at what it costs to get an ear drained. Like, you got to call and see, like, what's this going to run me? You can definitely search, to be clear, you can definitely search like which doctor's offices are in network, but the pricing around particular procedures is opaque across the board. Like doctors don't tell you, which is why it's so interesting when you're picking an insurer because a birth at a hospital in one town can be three times as much as a birth at a hospital in another town under the same insurance provider. All of that pricing is opaque. None of it is transparent. All right. So we've spoken about the research that you need to do before your appointment. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about after the appointment, when you get the bill. This is the, 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 the real sort of part of this entire experience. And so after your appointment, Uh, Your doctor or your hospital submits a claim to your insurance company that says, hey, this is what we did. This is who we did it for. It should all be sort of like lined up to what you provide. Yeah, any medication, any tests. It outlines all the services that you received, any medications, the tests that you said, all that stuff. And the insurance company sort of processes that and then sends you an explanation of benefits. That's that thick you know, it's typically four or five pages, double-sided, super complicated thing. And then there's big block letters that said, <laughs> this is not a bill on the bottom. And you sort of breathe a sigh of relief because it's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> but yeah, it, it outlines basically everything that the hospital billed them for and what they're going to pay and then what portion you will owe. Basically yeah. like, all right, this is your plan at work. Uh, so even though it says this is not a bill, like you should not ignore it because like yes. that is a really important piece of information because that's basically what you can use to reconcile exactly. what you paid in terms of your premiums, what you are eligible for. And you really want to pay attention to that because it can get super, super messy. Yes. If you look closely at your explanation of benefits, it's also called an EOB, you'll see medical codes on there. Yeah. And so if any of them were denied and there's no description in your EOB, then you need to Google them because those codes are going to tell you whether the denial was because it's out of network or they didn't think it was medically necessary or whatever it is. And once you have that, you are now prepared to kind of argue your case. But to Julian's point, the first step is to know why you were billed. And then from there, you can start the dispute process, which varies depending on the insurance policy that you have. But your you, the, the reason why you were billed is hidden in those in those medical codes. And it gets 
it gets real tricky because if you're going in for an appointment that you think is covered, like an annual care appointment, but you mess around and mention something like, but I've been having these migraines lately or my left ear has been buzzing and that triggers a lab result, then that whole appointment can be coded as something different because you went beyond just the annual like, is your heart rate? (laughs) Is your lungs working? Is your pulse checking? So it's a very complicated thing. But what you need to know is that when you go into this argument or dispute process, you need to go into it assuming that the other person involved, the person on the other end of the phone that you're talking to, the rep, you need to assume that they don't know what they're talking about. And that's not dismissive of anyone who's doing a representative job. It's just saying that the rep that you're talking to doesn't work at the hospital. (laughs) They do not know your care. They don't have access to your health. Like they, they, they're not the doctor, right? This is someone who works for the insurance company in the middle of these two facilities that have this negotiation. So your job is to simply present the facts, explain why they're wrong, why it was medically necessary, why it was in network, whatever your argument is, give screenshots, say that you called before, you have a ticket number, you know, the name of the person you talked to, And then you're asking them at the end of this call to send that claim back to the claims processing team so they can look at it again. Yeah. And that is what you do to challenge a medical bill. Sometimes it works the first time. Other times you get into a longer appeal process that requires more and more documentation. If it gets really big and out of control, you can hire a lawyer. There are people who specialize in this and will take it to court. And sometimes that's worth it when we're talking about a six-figure medical bill. Or you can file a complaint with your insurance commissioner at the state level. But most times it simply works because it goes back to what Julian was saying. They know how much human and clerical error is wasted. They know how much people get wrong. $256 billion is spent on just coding and and billing, right? So they know that this is a thing and you just have to be able to, to present it. And you have to be able to do it within six months of the date of service. So for those of you who have like that, you know, $5,000 bill that's been around for four years and you think you can go through this process and appeal it, it's probably too late. And that sucks to say, but like most policies will give you about 180 days to say like, yeah, something's wrong with this. And then after that, they deny your claim because it's just been so long. Yeah. And there, there are several, I have several thoughts on that. I was like, one, I mean, the, the, Billing error issue is so large. I mean, this is why there's an entire industry saw around it, like just trying to help streamline that process. And basically they might sort of um, act on your behalf to try to go manage that entire process back and forth because it requires a tremendous level of literacy and time just to sort of figure this process out. But to your point, this is an unfortunately necessary part of the process. But I also think like, you know, one of the biggest things that people underestimate about our healthcare, I don't want to call it a system anymore. Market. <laughs> our market is is that how much of the ownership falls on you, like the patient. And I think, you know, just imagine like if you're sick or trying to heal, like it's practically impossible to do all of that. Like mm-hmm. while you're also just trying to get better or feel better. And so you really have to kind of make plans before that time comes just to make sure that you're getting uh, exactly what you're paid for, that you're not overpaying or something like that. And like tools like estate planning with like healthcare directives and HSAs that allow you to set money aside if you're hit with a surprise bill is not devastating, can really, really help in this regard. 
But there's just also like a huge part of this is also just like preventative care. So things like healthy, uh, having a healthy diet, right? Like like doing your best to avoid or minimize these issues uh, or any of the issues or challenges that you may experience at all. So things like maintaining a healthy diet, right? Which again, can actually be more costly than what mm-hmm. you're eating right now. Exercise, like maybe you have a gym membership or you don't need one, but you make an effort to walk or do whatever it is. Like self-diagnosing elements and, and all the out-of-pocket costs, like supplements, water, like even technology, right? Like ensuring that you have certain things at home or that you're wearing like a, a sort of health wearable device or something like that to monitor uh, heart rates or stuff mm-hmm. like that. Housing improvements. All of these things, I think, are a part of healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't think of it that way. It's just more like, well, you know, there's healthcare in terms of just my premiums, but we don't think about all these other things that also fall on top of us, exactly. on top of having to advocate for uh, some of the inefficiencies that we know we experience within the healthcare marketplace. Yeah. And so I think about it in a very similar vein as I think about home ownership. A lot of people just look at, let's say, uh, the rent or the mortgage that you pay, but you don't think about like the full cost of home ownership, the stress, the furniture, the repairs, the uh, the property taxes, the maintenance, all those other things that kind of go into home ownership. Unfortunately, yeah. like health care uh, in the United States sort of requires you to do all a very similar kind of analysis mm-hmm. and to be so much more involved than just like, oh, I pay this premium, check the box, I'm yeah. covered. I don't have anything to worry about. Exactly. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate, but that is that is the world that we're in. And, and uh, the last thing I'll say is like that actually helps you to realize how expansive of an issue this really is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it really, really like that, that's where it gets like really, really expensive when you yeah. add up all these other costs and all of the time that it costs for you to do these things. Like healthcare literally is like such a fundamental part of life. And I think this is where the argument for universal healthcare. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine walking into a doctor and instead of there being administrative resources used to go get your medical records from your last insurance provider or your last doctor, they can just open up a file and see Every ailment, every reaction to a drug, every recurring condition you've had since you were 18, like that's what a single system universal healthcare would provide. But like, you know, we we're just not there yet. I, I could go truly on and on and on about this issue because we are not taught to advocate for ourselves and our care. In fact, I think most people would rather just avoid the system altogether and kind of check the box and move on. But that only goes so far. Like if you're injured through no fault of your own, our public services, our policemen, our firefighters are required to take you somewhere. And whether you're insured or not, you're going to get that bill. It doesn't go to the city that you're injured in. Like, thankfully, we live in litigious society, so you can probably sue and get your money back. But like, you're going to get a bill, right? Better call Saul. <laughs> so apart from the things that Julian just mentioned, like there's not much else you can do to avoid it. Whether it's the insurance companies that control it or the government, like we're kind of controlled either way. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> final thoughts? Okay. So I'll end my final thought on a practical note since I've been kind of like abstract the whole episode. But my final thought is that your budget for healthcare doesn't just stop at what you pay for the premium. No. It's echoing what Julian just said. 
In addition to paying the premium, which for most people comes directly out of their paycheck, you should also set aside your annual out-of-pocket maximum. Now, some people will keep this in an emergency fund. Other people like us will keep it in a health savings account. But having that buffer helps. Now, keep in mind that your out-of-pocket maximum resets every single year. So if you have a condition that requires long-term treatment and you max out in year one, just know that you'll need to kind of set up this recurring plan to set aside out-of-pocket money every single year, which is frustrating. Because again, so many people argue against paying higher taxes for a universal program only to pay it anyway (laughs) in all of these disparate ways. So you know, the best we can do is kind of plan for the stuff that we know will happen. And when it comes to healthcare in the U.S., we know you're going to get that bill. Yeah. (laughs) Plan for it. Yeah. Look, there are no easy answers here. You know, it's like asking, like I said, someone, it's like asking someone to predict the future. I mean, the short answer is you can't, but you can uh, do lots of things to kind of improve your odds of a better outcome. And I think that's really where a lot of us are with respect to healthcare. You mentioned uh, a couple of things that you can do. I would just add like a lot of the basics too. Like we talked about preventative care. We spoke about like HSAs that allow you to use pre-tax dollars. But, uh, you know, again, don't forget about the little stuff, like having regular checkups, right? Like making sure that you don't sort of find something when it's too late. And then all of a sudden you're kind of bought into like the latter stage of the healthcare solution. Like if you can catch it early, not only do you increase the likelihood of a positive outcome, like it's probably also like going to be significantly less expensive for you. Doing your part to uh, shop around, you know, and like do thorough due diligence as opposed to just buying the thing that you've always gotten because you've convened, uh, you convenient, it's convenient or this is what your parents have. But I would also say like staying uh, ahead of the curve and paying attention to innovative services and approaches to healthcare. Mm-hmm. I think two that come to mind and we should probably spend uh, an entire episode talking about some of these. Uh, but again, in my own experience, I remember people were sort of mentioning this to me and I was reminded that it was really cool is like you innovative companies like cost plus drug company, which is, a new company that basically Mark Cuban founded or runs uh, that is basically all about providing less expensive prescription drugs to people. Like a lot of people really swear by it and it's saving people a lot of money uh, and it's super efficient. But I think the other one that I'm particularly excited about is the rise of kind of medical tourism. Uh The reality that a lot of people are seeing is that, you know what, you, you have options here. Yes, you have coverage and this is what you're being quoted. Don't stop there. Don't say, well, it is what it is and I have to do this. You can literally travel to other countries or reach out to doctors in uh, other countries where they do have universal health care, get a quote from them, and you will likely be shocked by the difference in the cost there without any compromise of quality of the coverage. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think think it's safe to say we should probably do an entire episode about that because I don't think a lot of people are really aware of that. So those are my final thoughts. The U.S. system, as we know it, is is broken for most people. We, we know that. It's going to be super bumpy, but, um, you know, it is what it is, y'all. <laughs> hey. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. Speaking of preventative measures, this episode got my blood pressure up. So if you'd like to help a sister out and bring it down just a notch, you can head on over to the Apple Ratings and Review page and leave us a five-star rating and review. We will see y'all next week. 